0: I had never been happier and more in love, sharing the unique sights, sounds, and aromas of this magnificent city with a man I was crazy about. After our love-drenched week together, he headed back to England and I returned to the States. We made plans for me to visit him at his vacation home in India a month later. Despite the daunting distance between us, I figured if we could manage to see each other every two or three months, our relationship could work. To help things along, he arranged to teach at Stanford every six months, and within a year, we had set up home together, living half the year in California and traveling together to England or India for at least another month during the other half of the year. We also managed to squeeze in shorter visits when he would come to the States for professional conferences. That December, six months after our love affair had begun and just a month after our trip to Barcelona, I visited him in India. I saw unmistakable warning signs of the tragedies to come, but ignored them. Instead, I distorted the reality in front of me, just as I had learned to do as a child with my father. Pratam and his late wife had purchased a home in Putaparthi, a small town outside Bangalore developed around the world-renowned guru, Satya Sai Baba. His family, his wife in particular, were ardent devotees, although he claimed not to be a devotee of anyone or anything, and took great pride in his philosophical nihilism. Nevertheless, he traveled to Puttaparthi every year around the holidays for spiritual rest and rejuvenation, and made daily pilgrimages to Sai Baba's ashram. Within a day of my arrival, I realized I had not brought appropriate ashram attire, so I went into town to buy a few sets of salwar kameez, the pants and long tunic-like blouses worn by the women of India. Warning Sign Number One Gone less than two hours, I returned to proudly show him my bargains haggling is an expected form of commercial discourse in most third-world cultures. Rather than celebrate my trove, Pratam accused me of having affairs in the back of the shop with the Kashmiri traders. Nothing I said could dissuade him from his suspicions and paranoias. His reaction stunned me. In vain, I protested my innocence, but he wouldn't listen, opening a huge rift between us. The rest of the trip proved equally difficult. Temperamental, moody, hostile, verbally aggressive, distrustful, suspicious, and angry. This was not the man I thought I knew and had fallen in love with. I could not understand how this man, who had been so loving and caring during our time together in my home and in his many emails to me, and especially during our paradise visit to Barcelona, could be such a different person. Faced with a clear case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I had no idea what to do or whom I was dealing with. Furthermore, I felt trapped in his home in a foreign country. I thought about leaving and flying back early. Instead, I did what I had learned to do in childhood. I tried harder to love him. Tried harder to forgive him his bad behavior, tried harder to prove myself trustworthy, believing he would come to trust that I was who I said I was. I excused his paranoia, telling myself that because of his wife's death, he was afraid of losing me. I made excuses for him. I tried to understand his painful childhood growing up poor and impoverished, first in India and then in Fiji. He never really opened up about the details of his childhood, but I gleaned enough to understand it was painful, abusive, and traumatic. Being an understanding, empathic, compassionate person, I forgave him and dug deeper into myself to find even more empathy and compassion for his wounded heart. It would take years and deep excavation of my own soul for me to realize just how big a mistake that was.